Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Bethan. And I'm Mark. And welcome back. Thank you for joining us once again, guys. Have you got your copy of Crime Monthly Magazine for May yet? If so, you will have spotted us in the CrimeCon Crime Conversations feature. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our bonus episode that we did last week with the guys at Crimepedia. Um, if you haven't listened to them yet, then do go and check out their show. It's a really interesting show. They cover a lot of unsolved crimes, which we love too. And we would like to say a huge thank you to the following people who have signed up recently to support us on Patreon. So, uh, first of all, we'd like to say thanks to Holly. Uh, so, Holly uh, arranged a shout out for her friend and work colleague in last week's episode and she sent us a video of that which was amazing to see it was so cute thank you so much and thank you for supporting us here that's really sweet um also we have alan smiles we have sarah young dawn kelly nicole and we also have emma callier who has signed up annually uh, to support us so if you do sign up to support us on patreon annually then you do get a 10 percent discount um so yeah if you want to join these guys then you can head over to patreon.com slash seeing red podcast yeah thank you so much as we say every time your support absolutely blows us away and if you head to patreon.com forward slash seeing red podcast you'll find information about all the different tiers of support that's available and everyone's support over on social media is much appreciated too uh, please keep the discussions flowing and the memes coming we love all of the stuff that you post uh, so we're on facebook instagram twitter we've also got a youtube channel so you can find us there too and we've nearly hit a thousand subscribers so uh, if you don't follow us on youtube then do check it out before we crack on with today's episode, I wanted to quickly take a minute of your time to share some news with you. Potentially not news. I know I've mentioned this quite a lot, but maybe it is news. I've got a book coming out and it is available for pre-sales right now. The new Millennium Serial Killer will be out this summer and you can pre-order your copy in ebook or paperback at crimepublishingnetwork.com. And as soon as we have a confirmed release date, we will let you all know. We'll also have a giveaway for some signed copies of the book for you guys as we draw nearer to our full release. Um, there's a little bonus episode that kind of goes into a bit more detail about what the book is all about that you can go and have a listen to if you're interested. And I think, like you said, we'll probably do we'll do quite a bit of stuff around the release of it. So uh, we could do a bonus episode where we talk about the book uh, I also want to use it as our book for our Patreon book club, which we do every couple of months. So I think later in the year we'll um, we'll use it for our book for that and get you along to uh, to answer all of our questions about it. That would be really good fun. I'd really enjoy that. Thank you so much for indulging me, guys, with my all about me section. Mark, have you got anything you want to share? Have you got something? No, I'm not. I'm not selfish like you. <laughs> fair point or interesting so there's nothing there's nothing to shout about unfortunately yeah it's work and it's podcast that's my life fuck my life (laughs) well don't worry because soon i'll be saying that because i am going to be having to pronounce a lot of polish words today and really really hope that i don't completely embarrass myself and that I don't completely embarrass Magda. So, you know, who's the winner, really? We have covered so many miscarriages of justice on this podcast. And I say we, but these are generally my episodes, aren't they? Because it seems to be something I'm really drawn to. Mm. We've Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's weird, isn't it? Like, I yeah. always seem to just get taken in with these cases. 
I, I I suppose like for me, it's an unsolved is my absolute favourite. Mm-hmm. But for you, you either like a kind of mass uh, tragedy type case, you you kind of drawn to those, or you you're definitely drawn to these as well. Yeah, and we have loads of discussions over and over again about capital punishment. And I guess because this is the topic that I would use as my basis for being against capital punishment. I can think of so many cases where someone was accused of, tried for, found guilty of a crime, and then years later it's revealed that they languished in prison whilst entirely innocent. So, um, And even worse then is when someone's been sentenced to death for the crime and then they're later pardoned. I mean, that's it's just awful. It's just horrific, isn't it? And what we often find as well is that people are freed yet don't get the chance to enjoy their lives after incarceration. Sometimes they die within sort of years of their release. So um, two examples from the show, Walter McMillian and Stefan Kisko. Um, Another case you might want to read up about is Glenn Ford. He died a year after his release from prison, having spent 30 years behind bars for a crime he didn't commit. I think that's a really interesting point because people don't, people just kind of think when somebody's released, they might get compensation, which does happen sometimes. um, And they go on to lead a a great life and catch up on all the things that they'd missed out when they've been in prison. But you're absolutely right. Quite often uh, they they live a life of a recluse or uh, turn to substance abuse and, and don't go on to lead a long life or a healthy life. So, um, so you, you're right. Even when they are freed, um, and found uh, not guilty in an appeal or whatever. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's no life for them quite often. It's so sad, isn't it? And um, you think of like Stefan Kisko and he, he just then couldn't cope with being outside as well. He'd been so institutionalised. But thankfully, this isn't always the case. I am always talking about Stephen Downing, who I'm in awe of. He's a man who was convicted of a murder he didn't commit and he spent time in prison before his conviction was finally overturned and he was released. What I'm struck with with him is he isn't bitter towards the police, who, in my opinion, completely framed him. Um, So two of our listeners recently won his book, which was ghostwritten with a friend of the show, Chris Clark. This book is an incredible read. I would definitely recommend it. And I do want to cover Stephen's case on the show in the future. I'm just in awe of him. I just think he's amazing to not um, want retribution and that sort of thing. He just wants to get on with his life. And they, they do say if you're able to forgive and move on, you will lead a happier life for it. But I know I would find that really, really tough. So, yeah, all power to him for forgiving them for for what they did to him in terms of framing him and the life that he lost. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. So today's episode covers a wrongful conviction and imprisonment and the case has even been made into a film. As I said at the beginning, this is... Yeah, and as I said at the beginning, this is a listener-requested case and our first ever case from Poland. So I'm, I'm kind of deciding to do my final two episodes of the season um, giving myself a bit of a challenge, which is lovely for me. Actual people from Poland, please don't be offended if I say something wrong. <laughs> um, so a huge thank you to Magda for her support with research, finding articles, translations, pronunciations, basically everything that I needed for this case to become an episode. So this is her listeners requested case. Um, because it's a case that's really gripped the whole country, but also a huge thank you to her for all of her support. 
So we begin in Miwoshitsa, and whilst our case does begin in the 90s, I thought I would tell you a little bit about the history of the area. So during World War II, the Germans built a slave labour camp on the edge of the village for captured Poles, Jews, Russians and other people. And for this was kind of made for the construction of a new arms factory. It was founded on the 15th of October 1943 and not decommissioned until the 21st of January 1945. So it was going for quite a while. And at this point, the majority of prisoners were sent on a march to another camp and 2,000 of them died on this death march. At this point, the camp was then occupied by the Soviets and the remaining prisoners were released on the 23rd of January, so two days later. There is a mass grave in the woods near the former camp and there's a monument in memory of those martyred men that was built in the 1970s. I always find it really fascinating, especially with like World War Two, because we don't really have anything like that in this country. Um, but the monument is so beautiful and it's so poignant, so it's really incredible to look at. Yeah, really sad that 2,000 of them died on that death march. Yeah, and then the remaining prisoners who potentially were in like the hospital bays or were left behind for whatever reason, they couldn't even start the walk. A number of them still died anyway, even though they were being... Um, like released and helped and the village of Miwoshitsa dates back to the middle ages and was first mentioned in documents in 1245 and it's in the southwest of Poland. On New Year's Eve 1996 a 15 year old girl named Margosha um, was headed out with her friend to a disco called Alcatraz which I thought was a really cool name for a disco. So it was her and her friend and they sort of went to this party they were drinking alcohol and at one point Malgosha decided to head outside it was her first ever party her parents had let her go um she was due to come back with her and her friend Ivana and they were going to go by train and then come back by train in the morning in a photo taken before the girls left Malgosha is wearing a black dress which is buttoned up to the neck she's got thick black leggings on because I guess if you think of like the time of year and stuff it must have been really cold um, and then she's got her hair down, it's straight, it's quite loose, it's got a fringe. And the press described her look as modest. And I definitely agree. She just, she doesn't look much older than 15. She just looks like a 15 year old going out. Even even the use of that word though in this context is, um, it's quite judgmental, isn't it? To kind of, it's kind of saying, oh, we approve of the way that she was dressed based on what subsequently might have happened to her, I'm guessing. So it's like, oh, she didn't bring this on herself. She was dressed modestly. However, how nice for a newspaper to actually say that. If you think yeah. it's the time, it was 1996. I did think it was really interesting that that's how the press were kind of describing her at the time. Yeah. So she was last seen outside this disco in the company of two men heading away from, I can't work out if it was necessarily a nightclub or if it was just like a building that was being used for the disco. I can't really work it out. But basically, she was seen in the company of two guys heading outside. So two men approached her and one of them, Irek, called Margosha by her name and said he was her brother, told her off for drinking alcohol. But Margosha didn't have any siblings. So he then said, you need to go home and kind of was like, I'm going to take you. So her friend, Ivona, stayed at the party and Margosha left with Eric and then this other guy. And they just went behind the club. So um, whether or not she just thought it was a bit of fun or a bit of silliness, you know, I don't have a brother, but he's being a bit flirty. I'm not sure. But she decided to go with these two. 
When the girls didn't return home as expected, Margosha's parents actually then decided to head to Miwashitsa and they found Ivana at the disco building. She said she thought her friend was in the other house behind the common room. Parents were really getting worried by this point because it was the first time that they'd let their daughter go out on her own, especially, I think, like the travelling as well. That's quite a big deal. They searched and apparently they were searching for hours and then they found their daughter in a pool of blood behind a barn. Malgosha had been brutally raped and she died from blood loss and from the cold and she was lying naked except for her socks in the snow. So police could see from the crime scene that there'd been more than one perpetrator and they confirmed that the teenager's cause of death was hypothermia but the hours before her death had just been horrific. This poor girl had been raped and beaten and experts stated that, quote, the gruesome genital injuries she had suffered could have been caused by blunt or blunt-edged instruments, and the beatings inflicted on her, they said, were, quote, seemed to be torture. Can you imagine as as parents, kind of, I know obviously they, they might have been expecting the worst when they've been searching for her for hours, and then they stumble across their own daughter, and she's, like you said, in a pool of blood, she's been raped, she's beaten and clearly dead and probably her lips are blue it's clear that she's you know suffered hypothermia as well it's just awful isn't it for them to have discovered that and to seen that gruesome scene yeah it's bad enough if they'd have found her just calmly curled up in the snow and she'd passed away let alone this brutal brutal sight yeah and naked as well so undignified and margosha's parents later said how horrendous it was that no one had helped their daughter There were 500 people there. She wasn't really far from the disco. Witnesses later even said that they'd heard her cries, but nobody helped her. And that broke my heart. Her poor parents. That that kind of depends, though, because, I don't know, like 500 people there, it's going to be noisy. There's going to be fights. There's all sorts going on. So I don't think it might necessarily be a case where people knew that she was in danger and did nothing. No, and that's it. They didn't ignore it from like in a horrible way they just hadn't realized what they were hearing but it's just yeah just so sad like somebody could have potentially heard that and and gone to investigate it reminds me of debbie Debbie lindsley which i think we did in season three Uh, so she was the girl on the train who was murdered in the carriage and people heard those screams from her and it continued for a number of minutes and they they didn't do anything they didn't pull the cord to stop the train uh, they they just kind of sat there and i i appreciate they might have been traumatized by it but that was you really sad you just don't know what your reaction would be do you not in until that situation? Yeah, not until you're in that situation no yeah cuz somebody put on social media i think quite recently actually they must have been listening um to catch up sort of episodes and they said if only all of the passengers had grouped together to rush that that door when it was the end of the train ride or yeah. if only the group of people had got together because then they might have been able to do something and it's kind of like, well, yeah, but we can say if only for everything and you just don't know how you're going to react. No, it's all with the benefit of hindsight and we can sit here and analyse it and we know exactly what's happened and we can say that this should have happened or that should have happened and we can say it in this case too, but unless you're there, you don't you don't have all of the context. Numerous traces of Margosha's blood were found around the body, which indicated she had probably got up and tried to get help, but she'd been too weak to kind of get very far. 
But the weird thing is, is that since day one, the media were writing about this conspiracy of silence surrounding the crime in Miwashitsa. So local and national newspapers use terms like a wall of silence. It pays to remain silent, surrounded by ominous silence. Fear shuts everyone up and Miwashitsa deaf and mute about the crime. So straight away, it just feels like people just didn't want to have this kind of over their their town they just wanted to almost forget about it and just not even talk about it it does sound like there's more to it doesn't it at this yeah. point and that's it Malgosha's family felt like they didn't really get much support as well less than a year after the crime just before new year's eve 1997 the investigation was just discontinued it seemed like there'd been no leads but the police did have plenty of evidence And it was reported later in the press that actually this wasn't the beginning. Instead, this case starts six months earlier in August 1996. A double rape occurred in the neighbouring town of Yeltskaskovice and one of the rapists was caught, pleaded guilty and went to prison. The other one wasn't caught and his DNA matched the DNA found at Malgosha's scene. So this this wasn't even that long before. It was just the August and now like the beginning of January. And the investigation was discontinued. Yeah. Even though his DNA matched DNA found at the scene. God, that's mad, isn't it? There's more to this. And they did create a profile. Um, DNA profiling wasn't as sophisticated as it is now, but it was still pretty good. The tests done on the samples were the most modern available. um, And I read somewhere that it was as good as the American courts had at their disposal at this time. So it's so frustrating that, that nothing was continued with this. In the press on the 23rd of January 1997, it was reported, it is possible that some witnesses know the perpetrator and being terrified of revenge will change their accounts on purpose. So I thought that was really interesting. At the end of January 1997, they were talking about this conspiracy of silence continuing and the public um, prosecutor, Renata Protsik, said there's a real pact of silence between possible witnesses So potentially the police were trying to investigate, but they just couldn't get anywhere. And that's why they discontinued the investigation. So it sounds like some, well, the witnesses are very much scared of what might happen to them if they come forward. So maybe they knew who the perpetrator was and he was very well connected and could have caused significant harm to them if they they put his name forward, I guess. And then the following month, there was a news article that talked about how police were informed by some people from Miwashidza that they had been receiving threatening messages, warning them not to testify in the case. The police weren't able to verify whether or not it was a prankster or like uh, it was the actual person. They, they weren't able to verify. But basically, he would ring people at their homes and introduce him as Irek, which is short for Iraniosh, and he would shout into the receiver, you're going to end up like Gosha. Police has arrested and charged him. So people were then saying to the police that they were going to get, they were getting threatened as well. But there was no paper, it was just all phone calls. And then three years later, the police announced that they had their man. Tomasz Komenda was arrested and charged in 2000. Komenda had no previous convictions. He had never been in trouble with the law. He had only finished primary school and special school and he worked in a car wash. By the way, his name or his surname, Komenda, actually means a police station in Polish, which I thought was a really weird coincidence. It's a coincidence, but isn't that weird though? Because in England, we wouldn't have 
somebody's surname as police station, would we miss the police station? Yeah, but... So I find it like just a weird surname to have full stop. I don't know though, because like my surname's Truman, Truman, like... People might yeah, think that's true, weird from... True, true man. True man. <laughs> People might find that weird in other countries if they heard it, Potentially, maybe. yeah. Or, like, we have a lot of colours, don't we? Yeah, we do, yeah. Like, Mr. Mr. Brown, say... Redman, yeah. Oh, Redman. That's a weird one. There we mm. go. Have we got any listeners called Redman? Anyway, um, as I'm sure you're expecting, based on what I said earlier, this was not actually the rapist or killer. So the police had a witness who claimed to recognise Tomasz Komenda from a police composite sketch um, when it was kind of broadcast on a television programme about the murder. The police then just decided this is their man. They took his DNA, which showed a marker shared by one in 71 people, which they said pointed to Komenda's guilt. But they didn't actually check on his alibis. 12 people had actually said he was at home in Wrocław on the night in question, or checked on whether he could have got to the village from where he was at home. Commander's statements were then used against him, but they were the result of him being beaten and threatened. So his statement said, On New Year's Eve, I was at home in Wrocław with my friends and parents. We drank alcohol in moderate amounts. At around 2am from Grunwaldiske Square, I went by bus to Gegov with my friend Tomáš, who I met at a football match. I was with him at around three o'clock and I suggested going to Miłoszyca. We walked there for half an hour. At a disco, I met a girl called Kashka. We went to the forest. There I had intercourse with her. She went home and I went back to Wrocław. He later retracted this statement and said, they beat me so much I would even confess to shooting the Pope, but it was too late. He was detained in 2000 at the age of 23 And then he was convicted in 2003 and sentenced to 15 years. And after an appeal, his sentence was increased to 25 years in 2004. There were so many holes in the prosecution's case. And even Malgosha's parents felt like the police treated them really badly. There they were with their daughter, the victim of this savage attack. And they didn't even think that they were being treated nicely. And a couple of years later, with the internet being a bit more widely available, people from Miwoshitsa would say online... I know these villagers, they will not grass on one of them. There's like a village mentality. What a disgrace. Um, People said things like threatening people works wonders, especially when you're not only threatened by a petty criminal, but also by the corrupt police. Um, People said that they were putting an innocent lad behind bars. Um, And people even talked about how um, somebody had found their dog poisoned. Another person had their barn burned to the ground at night so you wouldn't say anything because you'd know that you were next. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I, I understand um, not saying anything out of fear that w- of what might happen to you. But this kind of like um, not the village not wanting to kind of like grass on one of their own. One of their own is a murderer and a rapist. So surely you would want that person removed from your village so that they didn't pose a, yeah. a threat to your daughter or your sister or your mom or whatever. So I just, I, I I sort of get it, like the village protecting their own, but equally one of their own is, is a crazy man that could do this again. So I, I don't really understand that. Yeah, exactly. And somebody did say online, the truth is Miwashitsa are also responsible for this conspiracy. And by the way, you'll see them all in Sunday church. And I was just like, that's such a good point. Mm. They're going to say that they're, you know, all innocent and 
fine, but actually they're they're helping to to keep this guy behind bars when he hasn't done anything. I mean, all it could it could be that the real perpetrator was. I suppose that sometimes in in some corners of the world, in in small communities, there's almost like a hierarchy of families, and maybe the perpetrator was from like the most important family within that community, and therefore he was protected. Yeah, potentially. So here are the points for Tomasz Komenda's innocence. So first of all, he was at home in Wrocław. This was confirmed, like I said, 12 people. And in his statement that he then gave when he'd been beaten, he said he and his friend walked over to the village of Miłoszyca, taking half an hour. I literally Google mapped it because you know what I like to Mm. do that. By car, the journey is at least 45 minutes and to walk, it would take over four hours. So his statement isn't even, like, it doesn't even work. He's just said it because he's been told to say it. Um, The witnesses who stood up for him were then subjected to police intimidation and they then changed their stories or chose not to testify. There was that DNA evidence about the one in 71 people. That sounds like quite a decent amount until you realise that equates to half a million people living in Poland at the time. So there was this DNA match, but one in half a million it's um it's that is just not conclusive is it no it's kind of i I kind of get where they're coming from but it's not like there's a one in a billion chance that this isn't him it's like it's it's the opposite (laughs) yeah it's ridiculous yeah and the judge and the prosecution refused to listen to an expert who had discovered other dna profiles on both victims where none of the dna matched tomash Komenda at all it's just so bad um There was possibly the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard presented in a case. More ridiculous than a cat in the dock, Mark. Oh, fucking hell, I remember that. I'd forgotten about that, yeah. (laughs) You had a little bit of a breakdown that day, didn't you? I did, yeah. Um, So they found a cap from the rapist and they compared this to Tomasz Komenda via smell. They literally smelt the hat and smelt him three years later and said it matched what the fuck? Are you sure they didn't have dogs involved, like like specialist police dogs involved in that? I have no idea. Because if they did, that that I could almost like just about accept. But <sighs> three years later, when this hat has been sat in yeah, evidence, that's I true, don't care yeah. if it's a fucking super dog. Or also, wouldn't there be DNA on the the cap anyway, like sweat and stuff yeah. that they could have checked? Which obviously they, probably they didn't bother. Did. It was probably the one that the guy said didn't match, and then the judge went, "I don't care." Yeah, we'll just smell it. Swat. Um, Tomasz Komenda. <laughs> yeah. So ridiculous. It's so corrupt. It's so corrupt. Tomasz Komenda gave a dental impression and this didn't match the bite mark on the victim. A dental technician stated that your teeth marks are basically as good as a fingerprint because they're totally unique and individual to each person. But only a section of Tomasz Komenda's mouth actually matched. I think it was six teeth. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's like most people would probably have six out of all of their teeth, six that are very similar to the next person. So yeah. um, just on that note, have you ever had like a sort of dental impression taken of your whole teeth? I did when I was younger and I had braces. Yeah, I had it done a few years ago. And um, when... Yes, they... when you had your teeth whitened, I remember you having them done. It makes me sound gorgeous. really vain. Um, oh, sorry, I shouldn't have admitted no, that. No, I'll just bleep all that But they did out. look fit. They did look lovely. They did. Um, so anyway, so like when so they let it all set, don't they, in your mouth, over your teeth, all this pink 
gooey liquid and it's set. And when she went to like rip out, because they then pull it out, obviously, and I literally thought she was going to rip half my jaw off. That is literally how it felt. <laughs> it is horrible because it, it does set. It's one of the weirdest and the worst things I've ever had done to me. <laughs> I really wanted to see something <laughs> bad, but I <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, what I'm saying is, I um, I feel for this guy because that alone is pretty shit. Let alone um, being sent to prison for something you didn't do. Jesus, I, mean, I know. Yeah, I wonder which part was the worst. Hmm. Tomash Commander ended up spending 18 years in prison for the rape and murder of Margosha, and he was suspected as that rapist from the year before as well. He attempted to take his own life three times, and he was subjected to physical and mental abuse. Finally, in 2016, an investigation into the case, which was encouraged by Margosha's parents, of all people, revealed that Commander was in fact not linked to the murder. 2016. Tomash Commander was acquitted of all of the charges in mid-2018, and he was already 41 at that time, meaning he had spent nearly half his life in prison. So, Commender was provisionally released in March 2018 and then the Supreme Court quashed his conviction in the May of that year. He apparently gave a cry of relief as the verdict was announced. He said life in prison was hell and he had been treated like filth behind bars. There's photos of his reaction and it is so moving. You can find them online and it's just you can see this emotion just pouring out of his face. He then buried his face in his hands when the three judge panel declared him innocent and said previous evidence and new facts showed he could not have committed the crime. He later said, For the last 18 years I've been asking myself, what have I done wrong to have my life turned into hell? I'm sure I've said it before, because like you said, we've covered a few miscarriage of justice cases, but I, I don't think I can envisage anything worse than this, where you know, you know that you are 100% innocent, you've done nothing wrong, and all the powers that be have said, no, you you are guilty and you're going to get sent down and then you serve 18 years in prison every single day thinking, what have I done to deserve this? Because I did not commit that crime. Not only is a real perpetrator out there free uh, to perhaps do this again, but I'm I'm stuck in, in prison there's nothing I can do about it. No one believes me. I think I think that's got to be one of the worst feelings, hasn't it? For no one to believe you. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when you're such a decent guy like this guy, you just, like you said, you'd be thinking, well, what if someone else is going to get attacked? Yeah. You know, that the real killer is out there, the real rapist. Um, but yeah, also to just not even be trusted or believed is just horrendous. And you can't, I just can't even imagine the, the emotions that he must have been feeling at this point to be told you are innocent and to finally be justified in what you've been saying for all these years. I can, I can understand why he attempted suicide on three occasions because it would, it would drive you to the brink of despair. And I could see that that would be the only way out at times. That's how you would feel. And I've been, yeah. I, I sort of said to someone recently that obviously we've been locked down and stuff and it's been really tough and I've been at home an awful lot. And I said, it's kind of like being in prison, but actually it's nothing like being in prison because quite often inmates in prison are in their cell for 23 hours a day. They get one hour where they can go out and exercise or they, they might get to have meals outside of their cell. But a lot of the time they're locked up for a long time in a very small space. And I just think, 
that is totally different. All of your liberties taken from you. That daily fear that you could get beaten up or murdered by a fellow inmate. Um, eating shit food. No kind of stimulation of any kind. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, the more I think about prison, the, the more I sort of think it is just such a, it's uh, such an appalling punishment. Yeah, it? it is barbaric. Yeah. And I know, I know that sometimes it's absolutely the right thing to protect the, the public. Um, but it's, I just don't know. I don't know where, I've not really thought about it much before. I just thought, well, prison's prison. But when you really look at it and break it down and think what that can do to an individual, is it the right way to rehabilitate someone or punish someone even? What an interesting idea. And I think we should probably focus on that and like a discussion thread and stuff and just see what our listeners think as well yeah. I think that's such a really interesting point yeah definitely yeah we'll um we'll get that up on facebook and have a, a, a discussion around it and i think that's one of the reasons you know 18 years that's why this case really gripped the nation um according to results of a survey published in march 2018 by virtualna polska um a newspaper 89% of Polish people had heard about Tomasz Komenda's case. Poland's right-wing government used the case, kind of highlighting it as an example of what it says is a malfunctioning justice system requiring deep reform. But the justice minister, however, said that the acquittal showed the mistakes of the system can be corrected and said no one can give back the years that Tomasz Komenda has lost. Still, the acquittal restores the sense of dignity of an innocent man who was wrongly committed. So it really gripped everyone. Even politicians were getting involved in discussing what had happened. The police, in my opinion, could have easily worked out who the real murderer was if they had done some proper investigative work. So on the farm next door to the disco, a man known only in the press as Ireneusz M was drinking to celebrate the new year. So he and another man known as Norbert B had later been interviewed after the murder and Ireneusz had actually said he saw a girl with white socks with a red horizontal stripe. That was Malgosha, but on the day that she was raped and murdered, she'd been wearing those socks under thick black leggings. So only somebody who had seen her without those leggings on, would have known about her socks. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, really major. He'd actually admitted to that in his police yeah. statements, and it wasn't even picked up. Also, do you remember that prank call that people were receiving from Irek? Yeah. Um, Irek is short for Irenius, and that was him. And evidence from Malgosha's clothes and body linked to both Norbert B and Irenius M as well. So the police had so much that could have convicted them. Oh, I got now, because I understand, like, so you're going to end up like Gosha is what he said on the phone. So he, he meant Malgosha, yeah. Yeah. So it's awful, isn't it? And then yeah. the police had all of this, but they just hadn't linked it. Finally, in September 2020, the pair were sentenced. So M was sentenced to 25 years for rape and murder and B to 10 years for rape and manslaughter. And finally, Margosha's family had some justice for the loss of their daughter all that time back in 1997. In 2018, Tomáš Komenda launched a claim for almost 19 million zloty compensation from the state this is one million for each year spent in prison, 
plus um, around 800,000 for lost earnings. And it was the highest ever compensation granted by a court in Poland. I love how you can pronounce all these Polish words. And then when it came to compensation, you went compensation. (laughs) 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 Oh, my brain is scrambled. Maybe I I can just speak in Polish from now on instead of English. 19 million zloty. You just know that that's about 4p though, don't you? Well, no, it's it's like the highest ever compensation granted oh, okay. in Poland. Yeah, fair enough. But I mean, I bet it's, I bet it's not as much as we think. I'm going to have a look at the rate now. Okay, have a look at the rate. But basically, this was kind of for false imprisonment, the three suicide attempts and compensation. And the Prime Minister authorised a special payment of 4,000 zloty per month um, for Tomasz Komenda until the compensation case was decided. So even the Prime Minister was like, do you know what? No, he deserves to have like a wage of some sorts while he's waiting. So I've just looked it so up. So I want to know how much 4,000 zloty is per month. So ba- basically, uh, there's about five zloty in the pound, in the English pound. So um, 4,000 zloty is like probably £800 a month. And the total compensation of like 19 million zloty would be 4 million quid. So it is a lot. It's not. It is a lot, though. That is a lot. It's not much, really, when you think what he's gone through. However, at least, like, he is getting, like, 800 to, like, a grand for a month just to live on, just to keep him going until he finds out. Yeah. So eventually, just this year in February, the courts agreed that he should receive most of the amount that he asked for. So he got 12 million zloty in compensation and an extra. 811,533 zloty in damages. So that is now just the highest amount of compensation in the history of the Polish judiciary system. So that's like, that's probably around about two and a half million pounds, three million pounds nearly. Amazing. And everybody in Poland is so happy for him that he's finally received all this compensation. It's really wonderful to see. I bet he spunked all of that up the wall, hasn't he? I don't think he has. I genuinely don't think he has. It's a lot of money. I'm going to tell you something in a minute Ooh, that okay. will hopefully make you think it's really sweet. Yeah. His lawyer has, however, emphasised that nothing can truly compensate for Tomasz Komenda's lost years in prison. Psychiatric experts upheld their opinion concerning the magnitude of wrongs and negative impact that this long-lasting prison stay, and in such extreme conditions, will have had on Tomasz Komenda. And his lawyer said this case has no precedence in the Polish judicial system. After the trial, Tomasz Komenda said, On Monday, I closed the prison chapter behind me with very big locks. This ruling means that my nightmare is over. And his story inspired a film, the 2020 Polish movie, 25 Years of Innocence, The Case of Tomasz Komenda. And I had to find a nice ending for the episode. And so I thought I would paint this picture for you. 44-year-old Tomasz Komenda and his girlfriend attended the official premiere of the film and they were talking to the press and announced that she was pregnant and the happy couple were going to be starting a new life together. Isn't that nice? That's lovely because I suppose there would have been times when he just thought, I'm never going to have a family again. Because even so, like, had he not been um, acquitted, he would have continued to serve his sentence. He wasn't far off the end of it anyway. Um, he would have got out, but he would have had that reputation as a rapist and murderer. So it would have been very difficult for him to find somebody and go on to have a family. So so I bet there were times when he thought, yeah, that's never going to happen for me. So that's lovely that it wasn't too late for him. And then to top it all off, 
He then proposed to her in front of all the crowds in the press and she accepted. Well, she could probably not have said no. If it oh, was in don't front be of... horrible. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Of course she would have wanted it. It's a millionaire. Um... Isn't that amazing? Oh, my God, stop <laughs> it. I'm just trying to give like a nice ending here. They're having a baby. I and have to ruin it, don't I? With a proposal. And I just thought it was really beautiful. He spent so long in jail, but he could now, like you said, have a normal, happy time, a normal life as a father with his new bride. I think really, I mean, we never have a a true happy ending because um, Magosha is dead and her parents suffered the loss and the injustice for decades um, that her her daughter's murderers got away with it, so there there never is a happy ending. But equally, that is that does leave me feeling like there is a sense of justice in the end. It might take a long time, but we do get there quite often. We get there because of advances in DNA technology or cold case teams just looking into stuff, um, or new witnesses coming forward. So, uh, yeah, it does kind of um, it does leave me with hope for other cases that we've covered, like Penny Bell, for example, who was murdered, Mm, I think, in 91. Yeah, Yeah. So there we go. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Well done, Bethan, for all of the pronunciations in the Polish pronunciations, not for saying compensation. (laughs) (laughs) And a massive, massive thank you to Magda for all of her support, for recommending the case, because it was a really, really interesting one to research and learn about. and also, especially for all your help, I really hope I've pronounced things right. I think apart you've from a... the English words. Well, exactly. <laughs> the that English goes, words. That goes without saying. Compensation. Um, yeah. Thanks, Magda. I saw all the emails going back and forth, and I, I know she put a lot of work into um, helping you with that. So perhaps we could. She get... even sent me voice notes with. Oh, that's um, so sweet. Pronunciation that, yeah. as well, which was amazing. Now, is there anyone that speaks English that can help Bethan with <laughs> words like compensation? Right. Maybe Next they could send a voice note. An episode, I'm going to make such an in, a thing of it. I'm going to every time you make a mistake, I never now, fuck up. I never fuck up on them. Mm. I've opened myself. We'll up see. For it. Um, yeah, thank you, thank you for that, Beth. And it was really fascinating. I love it when we go to a different country as well, which we we don't do all the time. But um, it's nice to visit a different corner of the world and understand their culture and the differences. So, um, so yeah, thank you. Um, we probably should just say, because I think this is episode, I don't know, like 22, 23. Um, episode 23, yeah. So we are coming towards the end of season six. And um, yeah, we'll be having a little break at the beginning of June, but only a week. And then Bethan's going to be off because uh, baby number two will probably be here then or around that time. So it will just be me, yeah. but I'm going to have some guest presenters uh, for uh, some of the early episodes. And then, then Bethan will be back before you know it. We've got a couple of things lined up where we've recorded together and then there might be some solo bits and some bits with different people, but we'll still be here every every other um every week on a Wednesday after the mid season break. I can't end quite remember when that break. takes us to. Oh, end of season I break, can't. sorry it is. I don't know. It? I don't I don't even know. Season what month six it is. I think is Maybe the middle of June, season six. Oh, hang on. Begin, are we in, we're only in season, are we in, yeah. So it's not the end. I thought it was the end of season six. It's season five we're on now, isn't it? Jesus. So. Oh, so um, you can't Oh, I never fuck anything up. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well done, me. Um, um, yeah, so it'll be the end of season five in a couple of episodes time. You'll then have a little bit of a break. I think you've got a week off. And I've then got a week off. And then I'm back. I'm going to get, 
I'm going to have uh, Paul from the True Crime Enthusiast along at some point, and also Adam from UK True Crime Weekly Podcast along also. Uh, so yeah, there's some fun stuff coming up. And um, like I said, yeah, Bethan will be back in a, in a few months' time um, after we get to the end of Season 5. Very exciting. Don't forget to check out the show sponsor, Best Fiends. You can download it from the Apple App Store or Google Play. And if you would like to support us and contribute towards Bethan's maternity pay, uh, then head over to <laughs> patreon.com slash podcast. Oh and we um, there's a lot, lots of lovely ways that we thank you for your support over there. There's uh, loads of fun stuff going on, so do check it out. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.